0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Monday, January 14th. I'm your host Jason Moser and joining me today in the actual <laughs> studio, no folks, he's not on Skype. Matt Frankel is in the house, certified financial planner, and you know, he's he's a pretty good-looking guy too, man Matt. You know, hey
1: Welcome. Glad to have you here. Thank you. I almost didn't make it. Um, I almost didn't make it back. <laughs> I thought you were going to have to Skype in and I'd be here.
0: That was going to be a funny reversal of fortunes. The potential was certainly uh, there uh, indeed. Uh, so, on today's show, we're going to talk about Wells Fargo's latest troubles. Uh, we'll talk about a funny tweet we saw over the weekend that brings up some legal questions concerning uh, the war on cash and. Um, We'll do a little bit uh, something different today with one to watch. We're gonna we're gonna have a few to watch. We're gonna start talking about some of these banks and the earnings that are coming out soon. We'll. We'll, uh, you know, give those give those all a good good quick look. Uh, but we're gonna begin today with another installment of Between Two Fools. The first Between Two Fools for 2019 is actually Between Three Fools. Hannah and Ainsley Moser are eighth and seventh grade students at Robinson Secondary here in Fairfax, Virginia, and they're also my daughters. Recently, we sat down in the studio to talk money and investing and more from a younger perspective. Hannah, you mentioned the finance park that we just went to recently. Yes. And that was a pretty amazing um, ordeal. I went I as a chaperone. Your mom and I both chaperoned your class there. What was the finance park about?
2: Okay, so for those of you who don't know, finance park is almost a simulation. They yeah. um, they bring you in and, you know, you've you've been talking about it in school for like the past week. And basically they bring you in and they say – we are going to teach you how to be an adult while you're still a kid. Um, and that's kind of their idea that they bring about their concern that kids aren't exactly ready to become adults. They aren't really told about most of the, you know, the perks and the downfalls of being, you know, an adult. And so their goal is to try to teach you how to best manage that. But when we went, we didn't really know exactly what to expect, but there had been you know, everyone had gone before us. So everyone just said it was so boring and <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't important, but the real the real thing is is kids get bored so easily, but I do know that we all actually absorbed the information and it will stick with us. It's just at the time it seems so dumb.
0: It is. Yeah. For me, I was floored by it. And and I'll I'll be writing a little bit more about it later. But I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's a simulation. Yeah. And everybody goes in there and every kid gets a tablet. And you essentially have to go through these 24 different modules of learning how to be an Mm -hmm. adult in budgeting your money. And you're given a scenario where this is who you are. This is what you do for a living. And this is how much money you make. And some people they're single. Some people are married with children. Mm-hmm. Some people are divorced with children. Yep. Um, but this is what you get, and now you got to go figure out how to make it work. Exactly. And I think yeah, it was a good. It was a good uh, experience there to yeah, show you maybe being an adult isn't all <laughs> it's cracked up to be. But we also tell you what that it does come with its freedom. It, you just, it, have, does. it just requires it's, more responsibility.
2: You know, it's important to kind of go in there and learn about that and when when they opened up the finance park it's basically this giant indoor mall yeah. and the way they the way they made that up is so impressive because they've had these companies come in and sponsor them so they use name brands like CBS and Chick-fil-A and they they built a mini Chick-fil-A
0: Geico insurance that's the store I had yeah. yeah
2: they had a little mini Geico with the logos and everything and this um It was really helpful for us, but the one thing I think they didn't quite, you know, they didn't hit the nail right on the head because they didn't talk at all about phones or phone bills.
0: Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, they didn't tell us anything about it. They didn't explain anything about it. And that's the thing. Most kids... In our generation, they all have phones, but they don't know what it takes to have one. They don't know that they have to pay like a certain monthly bill for a certain amount of data, for a certain plan, for a certain company. And there are taxes and a lot of different things that like build into having a phone. And they don't really realize that at such a young age, but they all so directly pertain to that subject. Yeah. And it, I was so surprised that they didn't even bring it up just because it's one of those things that... That's the best way to reach these people. Get to what they know.
0: Right. And a phone, you're right. Everybody's got a phone. I mean, understanding what goes on and having that phone. And and Ainsley, yeah, we were talking about that, right? I mean, it's not Mm -hmm. just paying for the phone, but paying (laughs) the phone company for the bill and however much data you're going to use. And then if you think about all of the things that you use that phone for, I mean, you're consuming information, you're buying your Starbucks, you're doing your banking, I mean, those those phones, yeah. That's you know that's good feedback. And you know I'm going to interview uh, one of the uh, good people there at the Finance Park later on during uh, the month, and I'll make sure to ask her that question because that's important feedback from a user. And Ainsley, I, I I was so impressed with that field trip. I'm absolutely going to sign up to chaperone your field trip in the eighth grade when <laughs> you go to Finance Park. And while you haven't been to Finance Park yet, you are. Somewhat of an entrepreneur, and I wanted to tap into that for a second because you, if people don't know this yet, really, you had a little slime business going, (laughs) didn't you? (laughs) Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you had Cruncher Slime going, right? (laughs)
3: I was not Sorry. a fan.
2: I'm
0: well, like, I mean, listen. I, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of having all the, you know, the detergent and uh, the yeah. Elmer's mm-hmm. glue around the house. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was really interesting how, uh, how, how, really committed you were to that, and you did a lot with it. You developed a logo. You had a presence on Instagram. You actually sold some slime. I mean, you were a you were a businesswoman, and <laughs> for me. That's fascinating to think about from a number of levels, not not to mention the fact that you were doing it when you were like 10 and 11 years old. Um, but I wanted to ask, I mean, because you're not doing it as much now, obviously you have other things that you're focused on more school and horseback riding. But what was, when you were doing that, what was one of those things that you took, what was a lesson you took away from trying out your own business? What was something that struck you?
3: Um, it sort of like taught me that you know, for a while, like, it was something that, let's face it, there was a phase where everybody was interested in, like, in stuff or, like, a lot of people were interested there in that. Stuff, Talking there, about trends, right? There, there was a big slime trend, yeah. Yeah, so that obviously was doing, like, better than a lot of other things. And then it just sort of just, like, went away. And I felt like that's something I needed to realize that a lot of stocks were going to fade away. They were, like, so you got to pick something that you believe will go far
0: yeah pick something you think is sustainable. yeah, something that'll be around for a while. Mm-hmm. right. I mean, that was that's a good point there. I mean, slime for a while, I mean it was really big business and like everybody you knew wanted it and you mm-hmm. were selling that stuff. And I was impressed. And you would take that money that you sold slime with, you, you got for the slime, and, and you would reinvest it back in that business. You would buy more stuff to make more slime, and you would sell more slime. I mean, that was a neat lesson. But, yeah, I mean, to your point, it does seem like that slime trend has started to fade away a little bit.
2: Oh, it's definitely faded. Oh, yeah. It's like <laughs> –
0: it It's definitely fading. Oh, Even yeah.
2: I'm like, like – it- it began to be banned in schools. Teachers really? were not oh, yeah. okay Teachers, with it. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so the slime trend is officially, it's, we've hit peak slime. We're on the downward yeah. downward side of the, the curve then.
3: I, I feel like there are going to be a lot of people. It's like, I feel like it somewhat depends on your age. Yeah. Because I feel mm-hmm, like for sure. kids in like fifth and sixth grade might be like, oh, but like. Well, <laughs> see, but you've, and yeah. I'm like just barely past that. Right. So it's like. Interesting to look at, but it's
0: and you can look at it and laugh now, and you can think yeah. it's kind of goofy and <laughs> slime and what whatever. But I, I do want to make a point here. You, you took away an important <clears throat> lesson there because yep. if you decide later on in life, when you're 21 or 30 or whatever, you want to go try your hand at starting another business, you're going to have a lesson there to pull back on and remember that if you're going to go into business, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, yeah, get something that you feel like is going to be sustainable or has a big long runway ahead. Um, so, you know, don't ever forget that lesson. That's a big one. And I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, I'm glad that you told us about it. Um, okay. We got to wrap things up here, girls. And what I wanted to do really quickly, because you guys own stocks and I think that's really cool. Um, I always talk about the stocks that you own, Mm -hmm. but I want you to take a minute. Tell me one stock in your portfolio or one stock that you don't have in your portfolio today that you would like to own. And maybe one reason why you'd like to own it. Ainsley, I'm going to start with you because I think I know what you're going to say.
3: Yeah, I've already talked to you about this multiple times, but Alphabet. Yeah. That is doing so well right now. Why would you
0: want to own Alphabet?
3: I mean, like, let's face it. Who doesn't ever use Google or whoever doesn't (laughs) use YouTube? Because face it, like, we don't know all those answers on our own. And we don't want to go to, like, a dictionary. And sometimes, like, at this point, Wikipedia is just like, we're not using it as much, and I don't know why, but we're not. So, wow. Alphabet is doing super well. Alphabet's um, a
0: good one. I think and it's that gonna is
3: continue to do super well.
0: I um, think you're probably right. Alphabet is Google, and Alphabet yeah. is YouTube, and Alphabet is a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. But you think about what they do with Google and search. You think about what YouTube is doing as far as video streaming. Um, I agree with you. I think that's a, sustain, a sustainable business that is is not going to go away anytime soon. And and you know, not to brag, a eh? But I, I personally already own shares of Alphabet. Personally.
3: So. <laughs> just maybe. Well, then maybe you could tell me how it's doing. <laughs> well,
0: maybe we'll work on getting you those shares in 2019. They're like 1000 bucks a pop, yeah. so we'll have to save up a little mm. money. But we'll, uh, we'll keep that on your watch list. Hannah, what is one that you don't own that you would like to own in the coming year?
2: Well, for sure, I agree with Ainsley about Alphabet. It's one of those things, you know, everyone... You know, they'll Google something rather than go on Bing or, you know, something like that because Google is so recognizable. It's, you know, its platform is so just out there and everyone knows what Google is. Um, And Wikipedia kind of feeds into Google because you'll Google something and the first little, you know, That pops up will be like a paragraph from Wikipedia. People don't click into the page. They just read that little bit (laughs) and then they think they have enough information. I do that. Exactly. So do I. Everyone does it. (laughs)
0: Everyone does.
2: Um, And obviously, YouTube, you know, that's one of those things because there's such a wide variety of things that you can uh, kind of get interested in on YouTube because there's, you know, the gaming and the. DIYS or the vlogging.
0: I always go to YouTube for watercolor lessons. Mm-hmm.
2: I don't think that's exactly what the teenagers are uh, <laughs> doing right now. But, but you're not
0: going to be teenagers forever. So am I hearing you correctly? You agree with Ainsley, the one you want to own as Alphabet?
2: It's yeah, and you sound like
0: you have one other one you want to. I
2: mean, I I can't think of any actual name brands. I can right. just think of certain things that I know are important to certain people you know
0: well i think alphabet's a good one i mean i think i think that's that's a really good one to want to own and and i i would agree i think that's one that uh maybe we should make 2019 the year we try to make sure you girls uh get a share of alphabet in your portfolio
3: a
2: girl can only dream a
0: girl can only dream and we'll leave it at that hannah moser ainsley moser thanks so much for taking the time today
2: but of course
0: all right matt Man, I feel like this is an easier conversation uh, to have here, you know, being in person. I, I mean, I know, I know our time is limited, but I feel like I want to sit here and talk this stuff all day long, you know.
1: Definitely, it's we need really really good get to get you be in the studio,
0: get you back in here sooner rather than <laughs> later. Uh, but yeah, it sounds like man, air travel's been tough for uh, for everybody. It was I was flying back in from Atlanta today and made my flight on the number, uh, but was amazed that there was no rescheduling or anything. The flight went on time. Uh, given the amount of snow that we had up here, but you came in a few days early, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I had to come in the day before because everything on Sunday coming into DC was canceled. <laughs> yeah. So I had to leave a birthday party that I was at with my daughters and run to the airport and go home and pack. And I made it ten minutes before my flight.
0: Well, we're glad you're here safely. Uh, wanted to kick this off uh, the show off here this week. Talk a little bit. You know, Chris Chris Hill sent me this article late last week, um, and. You know, I got got to reading it, and and, I mean, really, I mean, it's it's, you know, an interesting piece on Wells Fargo and and their most recent troubles. But you know, I mean, the, the article is titled "The Embarrassment That Is Wells Fargo," and it comes from the Charlotte Observer. And it's just, you know, it talks more about a a settlement they had to make here with the state of California in regard to insurance policies that they opened for customers without their consent and then went you know and charged them for it <laughs> um i mean so like there is a skepticism i think when it comes to insurance for a lot of people already just in that very initial leap uh but then to to do something like that it's just really i, I mean i don't even know where to begin i mean it, it it's kind of amazing to me that really it only cost them 5 million dollars
1: to bury this thing cuz it sounds pretty uh pretty bad. Yeah, I think if if it had extended beyond California it would have been a little more costly. But this is just the latest in a series of things. I think there was a 500 million dollar settlement just a couple of days before. Yeah. Um that was was that the auto insurance or was that the, I can't even keep track of these That anymore. was
0: auto loan <laughs> auto and loans. mortgage charges. I mean it was it was a lot of it. You're right. I mean that's the point though. I think is it seems like
1: this just never ends. Right. And it, we thought the fake account scandal was enough. <laughs> and then i i was actually a wells fargo auto loan customer and they tried to charge me for insurance that i didn't need oh really um oh. they sent me a letter saying that they didn't have verification that i had insurance on their auto loan and that they were going to charge me for their own policy unless i verified my insurance which i had with no lapse for you know 6 years sure and so a lot of people didn't do the, didn't actually send in the paperwork like i did and got charged for bogus policies yeah um, so it's just one thing after another
0: that seems like it really puts the onus on the customer, though. Which I mean, you know, you're you're in really what ultimately is a customer service business there, and um, that's that's I think one area where they have obviously fallen very flat. Because I mean, I I can't imagine. I mean, I, I I don't think we have anything with Wells Fargo anymore. I mean, we don't have any accounts. I think we once had a mortgage with them, or maybe. But I mean, it, it just. I don't think I would want to be a Wells Fargo right. customer. Now, with that said, I mean, I am a Bank of America customer, and that's not because I think Bank of America is the most awesome bank out there either. It's just that we've had these accounts forever. They had pretty good online banking when all of that started years ago, and now the cost of switching is just a nightmare. I wouldn't want to get in there and fiddle with it. So, you know, we have our checking account and a couple of savings accounts that run through Bank of America and whatnot, but, you know, I don't know. It seems to me with Wells Fargo, I mean, I can't imagine the headline getting any worse. I'm sure it probably will, but even <laughs> if it does, I mean, is there anything? I mean, I don't know that I would expect anything
1: material to happen to this company or its fundamentals. Tim Sloan is doing his best to change the public's perception. Yeah, and it's just so far not working. No. Um, well, these and it's it's also important to point out that these are old issues that are just being settled now. Right. So these are this is nothing new. Like we didn't just find out that they had insurance issues in California. But having said that, this is bringing all these old problems that are two or three years old back in the fresh in people's minds. It makes it really, really hard to turn the turn the tide.
0: It really does. And I guess I'll 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 wrap it up with this question for you. And and I wonder do you do you think do you think they can really take back control of the narrative with Tim Sloan still at the helm? I mean, is 2019 the year where Tim Sloan has to move on?
1: It, it I. I don't know if he's definitely has to move on, but I think it's definitely put up or shut up time. Yeah, I think the bank's last quarter looked a whole lot better than the one before it, and if that continues, and we can put all some of these issues behind them, these are all settled now. So hopefully, now we can finally move on a little bit. But if the 2019's results justify it, they might keep him around. But if not, then it might be time for new leadership.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's that old saying goes, right? Winning takes care of everything, I right? Mean, uh, you know, obviously, we we tend to look at our companies that we invest in here with a bit more of a, uh, you know, we, we we definitely like to look at the culture of the business and leadership and things like that. And so, yeah, everybody got to everybody has to figure out their own line and where they where they don't want to invest. I, I uh, yeah, I just I I. I, I wonder if if Tim Sloan really is the guy to get it going. But you're right, if the fundamentals come in and you know the business is earning money and and they're exceeding expectations, I think that, you know, he's punched his ticket, he's good to go and he can stay as long as he likes. (laughs)
1: The biggest issue is that um, investors are worried that this is gonna cost them customers. And if that turns out not to be the case, then you know we'll go from there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, to be continued, I suppose. Uh now Pivoting over to, I think, a little bit of a funnier uh, story this week, but it was really it was something that that started on on Twitter uh, the other day uh Jake Lazer, who's a football analyst uh, I think with Fox Sports is yeah, that right? like um that. he sent a tweet out that was just it was an interesting tweet because uh I had a few people that actually dm'd me on Twitter with this tweet say did you see this uh, but he tweeted this out on on January 11th he said this is the first I'm at the airport buying 18 bucks worth of stuff at store I pull out a 20 Clark says oh I'm sorry we don't accept cash here it's against our policy huh isn't the policy to make money? I'm so baffled. How the bleep is there a policy against taking cash? <laughs> and uh, I mean, you know, I read this. Everybody thought it was great because they're tweeting me like war on cash and like all that stuff that we've <laughs> talked about with those companies that we love so much. Um, and I I did reply to him even you know saying Jay, you know need to tell you a little story about the war on cash. But it, this brings up to me um, a question, and a golfing buddy of mine down in Georgia. Uh, who's also a lawyer, he had, he had brought this up as well um, when we were having dinner the other night. And, and there is there is there are some legali- legalities here. There's some legal questions that come with a company saying, we're not going to accept cash anymore. Because when you look at the language on the actual cash itself, I mean, it pretty much implies that you have to take it, right?
1: Right. It says it's a legal tender for all debts, public and private, public I think and is private. the wording. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there is some legal gray area there. There are some businesses we were talking about right before we taped that already don't accept cash. When I flew up here for example, if you buy a, a snacks on the plane, yeah, they insist that you use a credit card and refuse to take cash. So I kind of get it, they don't want you know, their flight attendants walking around with bundles of cash in their pocket. Um but there's definitely some gray area there and I could see this leading to a some kind of legal debate in in the courts.
0: Probably a Lionel Huts out there that's just waiting <laughs> to get this lawsuit started. I'd imagine, but yeah, I mean, I you know I've spoken with uh, small business owners. I mean, I've, I've worked in you know jobs where I've had to do cash jobs at the bank before two um, years ago, and I mean, those are never fun. Managing cash comes with its share of risks and responsibilities, and I think. Um, People who maybe don't have exposure to that every day don't recognize it. Um, so I mean, in a lot of cases, these companies have the ability to go cashless, and it's better for them because they don't have to manage that part of, of, of that business anymore. And uh, for for most, it's worth the cost of paying Square or you know PayPal or whoever a little bit of extra money to have them helping helping them out with that. Um, but yeah, I reckon we'll. We'll see where that uh, we'll see where that goes I think generally speaking though just consumer behavior is kind of telling us what we need to
1: know right and I don't think this will be the last time we hear of somebody <laughs> being frustrated that someone's not accepting cash I, it was just a matter of time yeah
0: yeah no I mean I, I get it I know I know people that just love to pay with cash and I just they're gonna have a tougher time doing it I guess but, but that's okay I think for most people they they seem to not want to deal with cash as much and uh, you know the consumers pretty much kind of dictate the way these things play out
1: at the end. And, and traveling, especially. I mean, I, I traveled up here, and what's the one thing you do before you travel? You mm-hmm. go stop and get some cash. Yep. So, I could see where it'd be really frustrating that like if, I, <laughs> if I stopped at the ATM on the way to the airport, and then they wouldn't take my cash when I got to the airport.
0: Yep, yep. yep. Um, okay, so let's talk about what we are going to be watching this week. You know, every week, we have one to watch for our listeners, and we uh, give them the stock ideas that are on our radar. But with earnings season getting underway here, we thought, uh, really, we should have five kind of ones to watch this week. Uh, talking about all of these banks that have earnings coming out. Citigroup uh, earnings just came out today on Monday. We've got J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo earnings tomorrow on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday we have Goldman Sachs and Bank of America reporting. And so we thought it would be a good idea to get all of these companies on investors' radar, and and. Maybe, you know, pick one or two of these banks that you really have your eye on and some of the things you might be looking for.
1: Sure. Well, just first, a couple of the trends I saw in Citigroup's earnings that could kind of set the tone. Um, Citigroup's trading revenue was terrible. The bank had already lowered its expectations for the year and it failed to even meet those lower expectations. Generally, that would cause the stock to tank afterwards. That was Goldman's original downward catalyst last quarter. But. City posted some pretty good metrics. Otherwise, they beat earnings. Their efficiency was better than expected. They cut costs by four percent year over year, which in the banking business is pretty good, especially when you're growing revenue. So, the picture looked pretty good. They, their city might, you know, be one to watch in the coming quarters. Sure. They're not looking like the quite as bad as they were a few years ago, <laughs> but kind of playing off of that. Trading revenue is definitely an area to watch, especially with the banks that really depend on it, like Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. Bank of America has some trading revenue. Yep. So, trading is definitely one thing to watch. Another thing I'm watching is buybacks. Oh, yeah. You're not going to hear too much about new dividends or buybacks being announced, just because for the financials, that happens mid-year when the stress test results come out. Mm -hmm. But... We all know that stocks kind of tanked during the fourth quarter, <laughs> and a lot of these banks had you know, $10 billion or more in available buyback capital. Um, Wells Fargo, especially, had a, a massive buyback authorization. I want to say it was over $20 billion for the year.
0: That's a good point. I, I'd be curious to see how opportunistic these these teams are.
1: Right. I would love to have seen Goldman buy back a ton of its stock below book value, or Wells Fargo when, <laughs> when the court of public opinion turned against it. <laughs> So that's one thing I'm watching, definitely. Um, and Goldman, I especially have my eye on because they're going through their their Malaysian crisis right now. Um, they had a bond fund that went bad. Malaysia is trying to get $7.5 billion out of them, which is really what's holding their stock down, the uncertainty having to do with that. Not only is Malaysia trying to get money out of them, but there could be a ton of regulatory risk right here at home. Oh, you'd have to believe. So Goldman could be facing some pretty stiff penalties. I don't think they're going to throw the book at them um but you never know the uncertainty is kind of what's bothering everybody right now so that's one I'm keeping an eye on they obviously can't say too much for a pending or a, an ongoing investigation but definitely want to keep an eye on
0: yeah that's i think the biggest challenge with these big banks is that in many cases they can be just sort of black boxes i mean it's difficult to fully understand their reach and and the things that they have Hiding
1: on the balance sheet here and there. Yeah, that's true of any highly regulated business like that. Yeah,
0: and and, I mean, it's and that's that's a good point. I'm glad you said that because it is, it is something that is not really specific to one company. It's more sector specific, and and I mean, they all have to deal with it. Um, It's just it's it's worth it's worth knowing. Um, And and I guess there are some banks out there that behave better than others. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's 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 a risk you have to worry about for the entire sector. I always just I feel like the smaller banks are are more understandable, and that's why I tend to steer towards looking at them more, because I feel like you can understand a little bit more of what they're doing. But
1: you know, those small banks are still trying to get big, so at some point or another, especially the ones without a a big trading operation or trading revenue is really you know tough to understand or predict, especially. Yeah, there's so many different dynamics that go into fixed income trading that. I mean, we could dedicate a series of shows just to that <laughs> if we wanted to. Um, but we trading revenues—we we, we, <laughs> we tried to fit trading revenue into an episode last year, and it just—I gave an overview, but it—you know—there's only so much you can do. Yeah, I guess so. And it's just really hard to predict because it has to do with market volatility, and, you know, no, and because it's so regulated, they can't tell you what's going on in the meantime. Yeah, yep, that's a good point, So, that's why you generally always get a surprise when it comes to trading revenue, whether it's a good surprise or a bad surprise. Well, I guess we'll find out more the rest
0: of this week and uh, and more as earnings season uh, starts picking up steam here. So, I'm excited about that. I always enjoy earnings season. It gives us uh, just plenty of stuff to talk about on these shows. And, I was thrilled that you were able to get in town here, and I was able to get back, and we were able to tape an episode together in the studio at the same time. Matt, thank you so much for being here.
1: Absolutely. I hope we get to do another few this year. Now that my, the baby's getting a little bit older, I can travel a little bit more than I used to. You get a little bit
0: of that time will free up. We'll make that happen. That sounds <laughs> great. OK, as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, or The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan, for Matt Frankel, and for Hannah and Ainsley Moser. I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week!